Hello and welcome to another InventRight TV show. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded InventRight 21 years ago with Stephen Key, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since. We have students in over 65 countries. So today, I'm interviewing Mike Kelly. He is an inventor, and welcome, Mike. How are you doing? Andrew, very well, thank you, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Well, thank you for coming on. You know, I want to show you guys a short video on a product that Mike's been working on just to provide some context, and he's going to share his personal experience. Upsides, downsides, what have you. So let's take a quick look at that video. Here we go. If you drive in winter, you know how dangerous and stressful driving with low visibility due to snow and ice can be. You've tried tapping your wipers while driving and pulling over to clean your blades, but both put your safety at risk. There has to be a better way. Now there is. Introducing the revolutionary new Shaker Wiper De-Icer. Simply push a button inside of your vehicle and the Shaker Wiper De-Icer goes to work immediately vibrating your blades as they sweep across your windshield, allowing the wiper blades to release trapped frozen debris. Blades make proper contact again instantly, improving your wiper's ability to function and improving visibility. The Shaker Wiper De-Icer installs in minutes and works with most vehicle makes and models. Okay, we're back. Mike, that's a really cool product, man. <laughs> well, literally, it only works in the winter, right? So the uh, the reality of that is that it's something I came up with quite a while ago, and uh, I'm actually no longer involved with it. It's probably the last five years I sold the business, but it's still an active product called the Shaker Wiper De-Icer. And people would understand its concepts if they ever drove in winter conditions where their wiper blades would freeze up or get frozen debris in the tracks. It will streak on the windshield, and an individual might feel so impressed to reach out the window while they're driving in cold weather to flick, catch and flick the wiper blade. It's called the Michigan flick. It's dangerous, which yeah. is how my idea concept originally came up. You, you had to educate me originally being from California and living in Henderson, Las Vegas area for the last 13 years. I was like, people do that. They reach out, flick their windshield out of their window. And I was like, wow. Okay. So you had to educate me on that because I've never lived in that cold of an environment, but Apparently, it's a big safety issue that you're solving there. It, it is. People die from this. And, you know, you think about when you're driving, if your visibility is obscured, 98% of all accidents occur from visibility situations, meaning lack thereof. So if you can't see at your front windshield clearly because of frozen debris under the wiper blade, it's a problem. And it happened to me, which is how the idea was originally conceived. So so you you ventured this product. You sold it yourself. And... You, you shared with me, you wanted to, to tell your story. You said you've been a big fan. You know, you've been watching us for a long time. You wanted to contribute to the community. I thought that was so cool that you wanted to share your personal experience. So I, I, go ahead and share whatever, whatever okay. it was. Well, uh, it was a long journey. It was a number of years, probably if I think uh, starting in 98, moving through 2015. So I had, a, I had a good long run with this and the product's still being sold. But um, the reality is, is that a lot of inventors, myself included way back then, we have blinders on and we don't take criticism well. And we think it's the best thing since sliced bread and that people will beat a path to your door for the better mousetrap. No, it, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, if I can go on a high level, there's, in my mind, there's two types of inventions. Number one, there is the pioneering kind of invention or the mousetrap. And then there is the better mousetrap. Uh, I think the better mousetrap, which is what I'm currently working on, is a better way to go. Whereas you can imagine, 
going into an automotive type company to tell them that you want to shake and vibrate their wiper blades when all they're doing over their engineering experience and techniques are to make wiper blades vibration free so they have good clean contact it, it, it's not intuitive so it, it took me many many months you know if the internet wasn't around back then for much but you know, I literally many, many months talking to people on the phone, trying to explain why you actually needed to vibrate a wiper blade to get rid of the problem. Um, Did you not have a good, like, short video that explained it back then? Well, it was VHS back then. Okay, and, uh, it's harder to get that, get it, it that over. It was harder to do, but, you know, literally, I, I actually, at one point, so first of all, I, this came from Napkin. There was a Napkin episode, literally, and all the way to the shelf, and all the way in between over many years. And, you know, you can encapsulate it really quickly, but at the end of the day, it's a lot of work. And, you know, in hindsight, if you guys were around back then, I suspect I probably would not have taken that path. But I wouldn't be here right now if I hadn't taken that path, so it's irrelevant. But True. It, it's a lot of hard work, and as euphoric as you may feel, I mean, I had a lot of accolades. I had a lot of free press for people. You know, there's one quote I pulled out here, and this automotive writer said, the shaker is one of the most innovative, if not the most innovative developments for windshield wipers since their invention a century ago. Like, that goes to your head. Yeah. <laughs> now I've really caught on to something here and everyone's going to be my path to my door. It doesn't happen that way. There's a lot of work. You get, um, you get, so that, that lasts for a little bit, but then you get brought down pretty quick by the reality of running a business and selling a product yourself. Like, that, that, that's just a grind, right? I mean, you know, if I, my recommendation to most people right now, if you're inventing, keep doing it. You know, innovation is important. It moves the world forward. But, you know, find a network of people who have already been there and done that. Let them bring it to the marketplace. However you want to do that. License it. You guys have the experience. I'm, I'm currently trying to sell my idea for a bicycle safety invention, which, again, will help save lives. Um, that why, me, why are you so obsessed with saving lives, Mike? That's Jeez. my drive. That's my drive. <laughs> I love it. You know, that's great. Without getting into the psych aspect of it, all humans are selfish to agree. My selfish thing is I feel good when I help somebody. Uh, I don't know how many people I saved from the shaker being on the vehicle. I had a lot of people that bought it and told us, oh, my God, we got through a snowstorm. Couldn't have done it without the shaker. Did You'll I, never I, know because, you, you know, you saved them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's still on the market and uh, it must be doing something right. It's, its main focus, by the way, is on the heavy snowplow fleets and the industrial truck lines. So these people can't afford to stop and not drive in bad weather conditions. So this kind of a product helps them get through those episodes. So looking back, I mean, would it have nice to save, it have been to save those lives rather than to have to, and license it to a big company and maybe sure. sold more than you were selling? What, what, kind, what kind of timeline, I didn't ask you before, how long was that journey? Because it's, it's, they can be long. So really quickly, the idea conceived with the going off the road from a snowstorm, flicking my wiper blade when I shouldn't have been doing it, that was in the late 80s, wrote the idea in a book, put the idea away for 10 years. In 1998, I brought the idea onto a napkin in a cafeteria to an old college friend who was now working in the patent business for a high-tech company. He loved the idea, and that was enough initiative for me to think, oh, someone out there knows what they're talking about, thought it was a great idea. Uh, it took me six months to a year to get a meeting with Ford down in Dearborn, brought a crude prototype down. They simulated in, in their environmental chambers all the weather conditions you can think of, including snow, sleet, and hail. 
And they gave it a, a thumbs up saying it was the best solution to the problem they'd come across yet. But... But I was going to say that, but... <laughs> there, were, there were 13 pages of engineering references from that I would have to get a crash test done. Literally, I had to attach these to the wiper arms and slam a vehicle into a wall and see if they stayed on. I did that. That was a couple of years later. Um, Year, you know, years later. All of the wow. government standards. And, oh, it's incredible the amount of things you have to do. And now, my hindsight reference is inventors out there, if you can, come up with an idea, number one, license it or sell it, but try and make it as simplistic as possible. When you get into medical or electrical or automotive or government standards, the, the time involved and the money involved is just incredible. And that has nothing to do with the patents. I spent nearly a quarter of a million dollar on patents. Whoa. It was craziness. Um, you know, would I spend that amount now? No. Currently, the one that I've, I've got in the works, the bicycle safety accessory, I've got a provisional. Yeah. And it'll be fine. I have $75. No Don't, you're not spending enough money, man. Spend more. No. <laughs> but you know at, at one point jumping ahead and so going through getting molds made um, things have changed you know you can literally do your mold testing online without anybody seeing what your product is all AI work um, but back when I was doing this I had to drive to Montreal every second week to the mold maker and make sure things were being done right it took a year to get the molds developed and then we had to change them I spent probably close to $175,000 on molds yeah. All, and, all of which you don't need to be concerned about when you're licensing, right? I mean, you exactly, don't need to worry about that. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, that, then, so let's talk about that. People have, way underestimate what it costs to make and sell a product themselves. Can you, can you talk about that a bit? Sure. Um, if it's a mass-produced product, that's one thing. If it's not so mass-produced, you can probably these days do the 3D prints. And literally, the current product I'm working on, it's an advanced model. It looks like a finished product, but it costs a lot of money to get it 3D printed, one of. But, you know, the 3D printing is probably limited to roughly maybe in the few thousand, 10,000 max from a cost-effective perspective. So you have to go to molds. And, and molds, probably at a minimum, are going to cost you 15 to 20 grand U.S. these days, mm. which is, you know, a tenth of the price that it costs when I was doing these, but... Um, it's more accessible to people. So, you know, do you need a prototype, a high fidelity prototype? It depends who your market is that you're trying to sell or license to or sell the idea to. I know people generally like to have their hands on things. You know, that gives them a sense of reinforcement. But, yeah. you know, you can, you can very quickly go down the rabbit hole when you're bringing the product to market well, yourself. Yeah, like how about how about cash flow? I mean, you, you're putting stuff, money out and it doesn't come back for sure. quite some time. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I, I went the investor route to bring funds in and a lot of investors, I fell into the trap myself. I didn't have enough investment, I think, at the end of the day. Um, but you need money. People don't do things for free. There's only so much free advice you can get off the internet to when finally the rubber hits the road and you have to pay people to do things. Yeah. You know, I, I spent close to a quarter million dollar on patents. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, man. That's like, you know, well, as opposed to the product you're working on now, you're spending 75 on a provisional and you're working on a, it yeah. sounds like a more or less a licensing deal. But. I, I, I may file the patent, but you know, whether or not I'll pursue it to the nth degree, I actually wrote the patent myself, which you might think, Oh my God, Mike, why would you do that? I did it because I wanted to challenge myself. And I oh, spent wow. That is research. a little crazy. So um, I'll see how that goes. But 
at the end of the day, there's the costs are, think of all the areas related to a product. Like here's an original shaker box. Okay. It's a, it's a clamshell. Yeah. You know, pretty nice. you have to get all of the graphics done, all of the writing done, the manuals written up, you know, there's no product in this, but you know, it's gotta be something that is eye catching and viable for people to look at. It takes a lot of time. Um, How about employees? Like, what were were your costs there? Well, uh, fortunately, I I hired employees based on share ownership. So I broke that down on that basis. Once we started generating revenue, then there were salaries paid out and so on. But I'm not a good business person. I'm I'm probably one of the worst business people around. Well, and you're Um, a pretty you're a pretty damn smart guy. I mean, other people might be creative, but not business savvy, right? And I don't, I don't, I don't think you need to be super smart to license. You just need to be creative. But if you're going to venture, you need to have business skills, and you yeah, need to be very logical and a little less emotional. You seem pretty damn smart to me, and um, I don't know if every the, every inventor is as smart as you are. So it's like, but it's not just about being smart too. It's about being driven. So you need to be equally excited about running a business as your product. I mean, you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, first of all, before I forget, everyone out there watching your channel should view the movie A Flash of Genius. Yeah. It's, it's... Okay. About Robert Kearns, the intermittent wiper arm inventor. I, I actually, at the end of that movie, Sean, I stood up and I clapped in the theater, and I was the only one doing that. People had no idea why this person would be doing that, but... It resonated. The story resonated with me, all the trials and tribulations you went through. Yeah. But, you know, the first thing people fail to do is have a plan. You have to have a plan. So, you know, take time, invest in the plan for what you're planning to be doing, regardless of its licensing, selling the idea, or bringing it to market. Um, and if you've got a plan, at least you've got a guideline with a timeline. Well, and a lot of people don't have a plan. They just see the, the one next thing. They don't look the, at the path sure. they're going down. They just want to do that one next thing but that's very dangerous when you're venturing because there's so much involved so much money involved so much risk involved that that is extremely dangerous anybody that's going to venture a product needs a mentor anybody licensed the product needs a mentor too but you're not going to mortgage your house and home when you're licensing but people do when they venture and try to sell the product themselves i want to come back to ford you mentioned ford I've always said that, you know, you might as well shoot yourself in the head right now. Nobody do that. It's just a joke. If you're going to try to license to a major automotive manufacturer, but automotive aftermarket is great. And that seems to be the direction that the shaker went, you know. So can you talk about that? And I don't usually have a story to back it up, but you got a story. And that's what you told me more or less. Too, but correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm it was close to a three-year process to get validated through FCS, which is Ford Component Services. Um, you know, they validate it. They do their own testing. They have their own part number. It sells in the dealerships. They do their own training for it, and it's it's quite in depth. And of course, they get their margins for it. Uh, but at the end of the day, was it worth it? I think it was. It added credibility to the product. Ultimately, I ended up with. Uh, doing a somewhat semi-exclusive deal with a distributor and they chose not to continue a relationship with Ford because the margins were so low. Uh-huh. But, you know, it, it comes down to what you said originally that, you know, you better to have 30 or 40% of a few numbers sold or a small percent, one or 2% of many, many sold. 
Well, but people have this perception, like if I license to a major automotive manufacturer, that they're selling God knows how many cars. But people don't understand the sensitivity with pricing on adding any cost of any kind. So like if people like if I saw your product and they're like, I want it to come off every Ford off the line. I'd be like automotive aftermarket, huge market, a lot of potential licensees, a lot of volume being done here, especially for this type of product. And I think that might be that's going to you're going to be way more likely to do a deal in that area than with a major automotive company. Am I wrong on that? Correct. Correct. No, me it's, you... it's it's literally every penny. Like you, you do the multiples of vehicles sold and they license technologies that they create to other companies. So, again, it's every penny multiplied, but every penny sold. So if you're coming in there with something that is a lot of pennies. There's got to be a really good justification for it, mm-hmm. and that justification for to make them look better, they're safety conscious, or they're making a good margin on it. There's all those variables involved. Um, it's a tough road to haul, and you know I wouldn't do that again myself. Okay, well that's good. That's what I wanted to hear. If you would, too or much not. time and investment for the payback. Uh, it wasn't worth it. Like literally, you know, getting involved with a company called. PMG Technologies in Canada, we, we slammed um, an SUV into a cement wall with shakers on it, <laughs> all videotaped, just to see that they stayed on and didn't come loose and become a hazard when they might become projectiles or something. Wow. So, you know, that took a lot of money. It took a lot of time and it was necessary. It had to be done for that kind of product. So, you know, having a good idea is one thing, but bringing it to reality is a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you know, when you when you do the automotive aftermarket, you don't need to jump through all those hoops. Uh, the, some of the same hoops, maybe, but not not necessarily as many as with the major. Yeah, if, if you're not directly in the automotive line, like you know, FCS was Ford Motor Company, that you have to go through all the hoops. If you're just on the outside aftermarket of distributors selling to the you know auto zones or something, they don't have the same kind of standards, right? Which can be scary sometimes if you think about it. But that being said, that's a possibility also. But, you know, in my mind right now, from hindsight, the licensing route to an entity that can bring it in and get it into a clamshell and then give it to those dealer shops, that's that's a nice way to go. Yeah. This, you know, inventing is very, very life consuming. It, it can take over your life. Like, you know, it's amazing. You get awards for things in life. I think the best award should be people that can stay happily married. My wife is we've been married 33 years i can't imagine being married to anybody else or not being married uh but for the things i put her through <laughs> it's incredible like the invent i have inventoritis i'm sure you know what that is yeah inflammation yeah. of the cognitive processes related to anytime we see a problem we have to try and solve it well and it and it adds it adds to the stress when you're risking tons of money financially to venture and try to sell the product yourself as opposed to licensing it, our students can say to their spouse, male or female, oh, no, 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 look, look, I'm only, I'm, I'm getting a provisional and I spent a few bucks on a sell sheet, virtual prototype, and I'm pitching it. I'm not, I'm not, we're not hiring employees. I'm not starting a business, you know, and, and oh, oh, okay, all right. You know, it's, it's a big, it puts a lot of stress on spouses and family and stuff with the money. I've, I've promised my wife that I will never bring another product to market. <laughs> <laughs> it's that I'm simple. not so sure you're I, no, no, actually, not, with what no, you're, I'm, I'm too old I'm too old for that yeah. but you know if you have a good appreciation of it, it it makes you understand why you'd probably want to say that 
And, and I've, I've been in the trenches enough. You know, there's some euphoric moments about inventing. There's no denying it. Uh, you know, getting awards, uh, being at a trade show. I remember we went to the, Tro the Toronto Auto Show one, one year, a two-week show. And we, we sold out of all the shakers we bought brought in there. People were crazy That's about exciting. it. But, you know, that, that was then and that is, is now. And uh, a lot happened since that point. But um, you know the thing that ruins inventing? Money. Hmm. The need to make money ruins the fun you get out of inventing things. I think when you license or, or sell an idea, uh, you're somewhat excluded from having to go through that stress. Yeah. Well, and, and if they don't perform, you get it back. They got to meet yeah. minimum guarantees. And you... Yeah. You know, um, you know, I will tell you one negative. So one of the things that I did in hindsight that I should have done, I gave ex full exclusivity, full exclusivity later on in the tenure of the product. This was, uh, mm. I think, around 10, 2012 or 13. I won't mention the name, but it was a multi-billion-dollar automotive company. Um, I gave them full exclusivity rights. Okay. Well, as it turned out, it was a nightmare. They basically killed the product. But but if you but you did you in retrospect, correct me if I'm wrong. You were probably going to say I didn't have things in that contract that should have been in there. Sure, sure. At the end of the day, yeah. If, yeah. if, if there's minimum guarantees, if there's other milestones they weren't meeting those you could just simply send them an email saying you're not meeting the contractual terms yeah, of the license yeah. agreement and i'm taking it back and and the reality in my case it was going to cost me four hundred and fifty thousand us to successfully sue them without a hundred percent chance of it coming to fruition in my favor you know this is one of the things that our students and our fans are concerned about we've never had it happen to one of our students be, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know your particular case, but if the contract is set up properly, it you would not, never have to spend $450,000 to sue them. Yeah. I, I suppose so. I'll give you a more positive spin. Uh, if, as, although if a company is being super difficult, I guess you might. I mean, yeah. no matter what a contract says, if somebody wants to argue with you in, in the legal in courts, they can, you know. Well, it, it for it somewhat forced me to sell the company at the end of the the journey, but that sucks. Prior, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it, I still save people, right? That's my mindset, and it was I learned a lot. But uh, there was one aspect where I had partial exclusivity to a distributor, and uh, they rent a rye outside of where they were supposed to territorially, and I had to sue them. Now this is where the patents came in. The patents gave me the ability to actually do that. But it cost me here in Ontario, in Canada, at least in Ontario, you have to go through arbitration before you go to the courts. I guess so not to burden the courts. Yeah. But it cost me $20,000 to basically shut them down. Mm. It cost me 20000 to shut them down. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, another hindsight thing. And yeah, it, it sounds great to to word the ideal contract, but it's, it's um, easier it's, said than done. There's still just words on a page. People can go against it and they'll all sue they me. Can. They can. And, you know, in my mind, I think IP, intellectual property, is important. It adds credibility, if nothing else. Um, and if your idea is a potential mass market idea, IP is even more important. If it's more of a novelty thing, are patents so important? I would say not. Right. That's our That's experience, a, too. Yeah. Um, but the reality is patents are really only valid if you can afford to defend them. And I think that's a trap, a rabbit hole that a lot of inventors fall down. And, you know, I didn't have $450,000 without a guarantee 
It's just perceived protection. Fortunately, most companies respect that. It is, yeah. Um, most, and and, most and you just have to take that risk. Yeah. You know? So, you know, the provisional route, I think, is a wise route to go. You're not committing the farm. You're not mortgaging, as you referenced. Well, it's and, a pretty dramatic difference. You went from $250,000 in patents yeah, to $75 provisional. It's, it's 120 Canadian. I, I, Canadians always talk about the exchange rate. That's funny. Because it, you guys you're are probably, always really you're upset. Probably not old enough. That. Maybe you are, but in the early '70s, the Canadian dollar was actually five cents more than the U.S. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, sorry, <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> it is what it is. I, so, I, sometimes I wonder why the American dollar is still so strong. Uh, well, I'll tell you one reason: you're able to send vaccines up here that we need. Thanks very much. Okay. So, uh, you guys have more worth and uh, I, I do that personally. I, I personally ship those myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mike, thank you so much. Um, this this series that we're doing, it's it's one thing for Stephen or myself to say something, but it's really nice to have an inventor come on and share their personal experience. And I, I just being part of the online invent right community, you just said I, I wanted to share my experience. I think it might help some folks. It really says a lot about who you are. Um, I think the types of products, I think it's fine to do novelty gag gifts and stuff, nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's really cool that you tend to focus on products that save lives. And it's cool that you, um, which I think Steve and I are guilty of this, you know, to a certain extent. I'm selfish. I like feeling good about helping people. Sure. <laughs> that's that's yeah. to be human. That's yeah, be human. and I think it is a human trait. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, that, you know, it's not always, you're not always doing it just for the other person. It makes you feel good too, but hey, that just makes the world a better place. It so does. It's all yeah, good. There's, there's not enough altruism that goes around out there. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Mike, thank you so much. I remind everybody: take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you next time. See you guys next time. Bye. There's a great idea in each of us. It's truly magical to see it come to life. Sharing your creativity with the world has never been easier. We can help.